Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here, and today we're talking to Matt from Epiphany Entertainment, and they're here to talk to us about Body Count, a new cyberpunk RPG that is up on Kickstarter right now. How are you, Matt? I'm good, thanks, Ray. How are you this evening? I am pretty good. Uh, it is rare that I get to talk to someone that is in my time zone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, there's uh, plenty of Australian game developers uh, here in Sydney, but their, their projects, um, we're trying to sort of reach a broader audience with ours. So uh, I'm glad you've taken the time to interview me tonight. Oh, no, wonderful. It should be, uh, should be good. Um, I think um, we might start off by having people... Uh, Having you tell uh, our listeners a little some uh, a little bit about yourself and your game design background uh, and projects that you've worked on before, and then we'll get you to tell us about your wonderful game. Okay, so well, I've I've been a player of role playing games since I was ten years old when I got my first uh, Dungeons and Dragons basic set, the old red box, mm-hmm. uh, and that was thirty four years ago. So ever since then, I've been into playing role playing games. And uh, after various jobs, after leaving high school, I, I worked for an accountant. I worked in a kitchen. Uh, I uh, worked in customer service and um, uh, at a Zone 3 uh, site for a long time, uh, managing kids' birthday parties and, and uh, laser games, that's kind of, that kind of thing. But uh, we always wanted to have our own game rules. We found that the game systems that we grew up with and that we loved, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, RuneQuest, uh, Cyberpunk 2020, all had these deficiencies that meant that we were introducing like homebrewed rules in order to make the games playable or to make them more fun. Mm-hmm. So we figured, well, why not go the, the next step and create our own system from scratch, which is what we did with a larger game called Dark Stars. Now, Body Count takes place in the Dark Stars universe, but it's sort of a boiled down set of rules. So we're we're looking at making a game that's fast action, fun, more oriented on you know getting into the action as quickly as possible, as opposed to a game like Dungeons and Dragons where you might spend hours crafting a character. Mm. Interesting. So there's a there's a focus within Body Count on speed of play, definitely, um, and m- more more importantly, speed of getting into play. Mm-hmm. So making a character is is easy. It's a very fast process to create a character. And you can have a character completed and be playing the game within 15 minutes. Um, so it would make it a great game to play at conventions and at clubs where you can just have people turn up and make a character on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, it eliminates the need for like a session zero, which a lot of game masters have where they, they get all the players together before the game starts and make everyone's characters and, and build the story up before the game actually starts. So we've eliminated the need for that by having this very fast-flowing character creation system, and you just get straight into the action. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned that you have a that the, that you have a boiled-down uh, setting. What is the specific focus of the setting of uh, Body Count? Where where do our characters where do the characters find themselves beginning? Uh, and what is the goal for most uh, sessions of play? Okay, so to give a bit of background for that, the Dark Stars universe is uh, basically Earth got really polluted and overused. Resources were running out. It was heavily overpopulated. And 
what happened was the United Nations became more important than governments. Uh, in order to combat global problems, they needed a global body, and the UN in our universe has become a much more powerful, uh, more effective organism than it is currently. And the rise of these massive corporations involved in space exploration and uh, colonising other worlds, they came up with this solution to the overcrowding on Earth by colonising Mars, and they built these giant blocks of um, a giant habitat where they could take modules full of people and slot them into these giant block habitats on Mars. And the blocks can house up to 500 million people each, and that's where the players find themselves, is in one of these blocks. Block 47, right? That's correct. So one of the main things about it is this, like Earth has been cleaned up and all the pollution is gone, but now only the wealthy elite live on Earth. Mm Mm-hmm. And all of the sort of lower classes are all crammed into these giant blocks, which was supposed to be only a temporary measure, but have now become more like a prison. And one of the themes that that we talk about, we don't sort of, we're not overt about it. We don't sort of push themes down people's throats. We'd rather let the players and and the GMs of our game come to these conclusions on their own. But it's really, it's putting the players in the position of, say, refugees, You've been transplanted forcibly from your home, put into this contained environment where you're not allowed to leave. And the goal of the players is to get out of the block, earn earn a passport that allows you to leave the block and become a citizen of humanity at large rather than just a block citizen. And that's the ultimate goal of the game. Right. Okay. Interesting kind of uh, arc. How, how do you expect that most um most uh stories that players tell will uh, or that gms and stuff players will tell together will actually culminate in anyone uh winning that uh those those passports or is it more well in the games that we've played so far in the the earlier iterations of of the rules in our own group um the players aren't really interested in getting out of the block they want to like take the place over you know become crime lords or um, CEOs of companies or things like that and, and take over things inside the block. Mm. So they sort of get sidetracked from that goal. Um, and I think probably most players, like the block is a fun place to play. It's got everything you need. The setting is, um, it's an interesting setting. Like there's lots of flavor to it. So I, I guess there isn't that much incentive to leave. But so- that's sort of the... If you do leave, that's pretty much the end of the game. You've you've won. You've achieved it. Game over. So you have the goal of uh, of retiring your character to a better life um, as a potential uh, conclusion, but it's not something you've uh, built into the game t- to encourage players towards that goal. It's just sort of a potential. It's, it's goal. written into the game as. The ultimate goal of everyone in the block wants to get out of the block. Right, but it's not reinforced through mechanics or anything. No, no, it's not. It's just sort of there narratively. Yeah, and it, I mean, it does allow you to create uh, a scenario. We have a series of scenarios um, that's also in the Kickstarter. Uh, it's called Tales from the Block, which is will be the first supplement to Body Count. And Tales from the Block contains three written scenarios um, plus a whole host of NPCs. And each scenario explores different uh, themes within the block setting. 
but we're planning a second um, supplement that continues the story of those three scenarios culminating uh, in the players potentially escaping the block. Sure. Interesting. Um, So it sounds like um, there's a bit of a focus on a bit of a, a a bit of a a focus of the game um, from what I've seen uh, looking at the rule book and from the stuff that we've talked about so far, Uh, you have a focus on, um, on uh, combat and, and violence in particular, like dealing violence, mm. um, would you say that this is a action oriented game? Definitely an action oriented game. Um, mm-hmm. there, we've got skills in the game, like um, uh, skills that allow you to talk your way out of situations or sneak around. So the elements of role playing are in there. One of the skills we have is called swagger, which is just being able to appear confident and just sort of bluff your way through things and walk around like you own the place so that people don't question you. So we've got those mechanics in there to allow people to uh, quantify those role-playing elements. But in the end, it all comes down to uh, the conflict. Now, all games have an element of conflict, um, whether it's solving a puzzle or um, convincing someone to do something. These are all forms of conflict and conflict resolution. But with body count, the conflict is more overt than than other games, so it does sort of focus on that that combat and that visceral sort of action. Yeah, of course. Um, could you detail for us a little bit more about your uh, combat system? Seeing as combat is a focus of your game, yep. um, could we go into a little bit more about that? Um, so, why don't we start with? Um, uh, what is the opening element of uh, combat? What is the first interface with mechanics of combat? Let's assume that we have we are players that have resolved to do to do do harm to an obstacle. Where do we begin with dealing harm to this this obstacle? Well, uh, our combat turn sequence is um, pretty generic. I mean, most combat systems have this sort of system, but the first thing is determine if either side's surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you manage to sneak up on and surprise an enemy or, or spring an ambush, you basically get a free round to do what you will to them. Then, after you've determined the surprise and, and played out the surprise round, then you roll for initiative. Uh, we use a D20 uh, task resolution system, so 20-sided dice. Um, uh, when you roll for initiative, you're rolling a D20 and adding your flash stat to it. So flash is like your dexterity reflexes kind of stat. Then you go... Uh, working down the the list in initiative order. So the highest score goes first. And then you have your combat round after resolving initiative. And, excuse me, each player can take up to two actions in their turn. So um, kind of simplified, uh, a lot of systems use the same kind of mechanic, uh, like D&D 3.5 or Pathfinder has that that, move action and standard action. We just let you take two actions. And that can be move and attack, or attack and then move, or two attacks, or double move, however you want to play it. Then um, after that uh, resolution of what you're deciding to do, then you work out whether you've succeeded or not. Now, it works on a roll-up D20 system. So it's roll a D20, add your relevant skill, uh, add any modifiers uh, for like the type of weapon you're using or the type of action you're taking, and then you've got to reach a target number. 
Um, it'll be very familiar to people who play Pathfinder or D&D 3.5. It's the same kind of system. Um, one thing we've tried to avoid is have any penalties. So there's no there's no negative modifiers. It's it's all additive. You're either adding to the dice roll or you're multiplying a number. Very rarely do you divide and almost never are there negatives. And there's rules for uh, automatic fire of weapons. Um, so if you're firing an automatic weapon, you might hit with more than one bullet. Mm-hmm. And we've gone with something different, slightly different with explosives. Explosives don't actually just do set damage explosives the better the explosive device you're using the more you add to your role when you attack with it and uh, use a skill called use item with explosives so you throw a grenade you make your roll and then you consult a table and the table has varying results based on the type of enemy that you're hitting now enemies are divided into three types we've got mooks villains and bosses the bosses are the gang leaders they're the, the big tough guys they're the scary end boss type um uh, type enemies. Villains are their primary henchmen. So a villain is a is a tough opponent, but he doesn't have the same abilities as a boss does. Bosses get special abilities that give them an edge over players. And the mooks are just the run-of-the-mill minions. Um, they're, they're there to die in droves and to die gloriously. And in fact, the name of the game, Body Count, comes from um, at the end of the session, the player who's killed the most mooks uh, gets an XP reward, gets an XP bonus. So Mooks are really just there to, as a as a way of having cinematic action and lots of explosions and you know bad guys dying in droves mm-hmm. like an eighties action movie. Um, so one of the big influences that we were um, when we were designing the combat system here was eighties action movies. We want to make it as cinematic as possible. Sure. And um, then after resolving the combat, you go to your bookkeeping phase where you tally up. Uh, moot kills, uh, do any ongoing damage. Like if somebody's on fire, that's when they take their damage. And then you go back to rolling initiative and wash, rinse, repeat until combat is ended. Cool. Um, how, so your game is kind of, uh, has a focus on combat. So I'm interested to see how long, how much time do you imagine a, a fight takes, um, well, the fight- to actually play out um, at the table. Yeah. The fights we've done in playtesting um, usually occur between 20 and 30 minutes. So uh, you rack up the bad guys, combat takes place. Um, we encourage the players to describe their actions mm-hmm. um, in a cinematic kind of style. Like, you know, I my character dives over the table with a submachine gun in one hand and a pistol in the other, and I'm blazing away. Uh, the the wilder the the uh, the action and the more like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie it is the better and the more the GM likes your description the bigger bonus he's going to give you on your role. So I was just going to ask if you have a mechanic to encourage them to describe, but it sounds yeah. like the GM can give bonuses based on how much they thought your description was good. Yeah, and it's um it's actually written into the rules there. It's it's written in as you know. Uh, we're trying to create a collaborative experience between the GM and the players. Mm-hmm. So the GM's not the only one giving out descriptions. The players should be getting right into the descriptions and describing uh, how their character, how they see their character interacting with the environment and how they see the environment around them. So it's really the emphasis is on collaboration between everyone in the group, trying to make it a, a genuine group experience. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, cool. Uh, how much, how, how uh, how 
what sort of percentage of a session do you envision uh, like a standard session uh, and your ideal uh, projection of play? What portion of your session do you imagine would be taken up by combat? It seems like a game that's focused on combat, so I assume a large amount of the session will be fighting. Yeah, I'd say roughly 50%. Okay, that's Um, less than I would have thought. Yeah, well, because fights are over fairly quickly, uh, in a... I mean, I don't know about most groups I've played in play for about four hours. That's that's like the session length. Uh, some groups might play longer. Some groups might be shorter. But in a four-hour session, um, there's always going to be a little t- bit of time for people getting drinks and something to eat and people talking about the what, what they did on the weekend, that kind of thing. And in the playing of the game, you get maybe three hours of, of actual play. And out of that three hours, you could probably fit three or four fights in and still have an hour to an hour and a half of time for role playing and scene description and and having non combat scenes mm. and three or four fights in a session is actually a lot. I mean, most D and D games I play, we're lucky if we get two fights in a session. Mm. But D and D fights are also very involved. I can't yeah. think of a D and D fight that has taken less than half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> And in this, uh, half an hour is probably the limit of how long a fight will take to resolve. Yeah, I like the, I like the idea of um, short uh, fight scenes. Even though, like, I enjoy um, fighting in role playing game, uh, fighting um, in narrative. Uh, I have often found um, combat systems in role playing games are over involved mm. uh, sometimes and take a lot more time than they should. Um, but it sounds like you've got an interesting balance. Um, I'm interested to know how much uh, role, how much of your role playing can uh, features in to uh, the into the combat. Um, and what I, I guess what I'm meaning mean there is uh, what uh, narrative overlaps uh, form uh, beyond just. I need these people dead, so I'm going to kill them. Um, What kind of other opportunities are there uh, for uh, bringing your character's story into the session, into the the fight? Okay, well, one of the main things we have of doing that is the talent trees. Mm -hmm. So the talent trees, um, some of the talents in the talent trees are are focused on non-combat things, but most of them give you an edge in combat. And... The, the talents, how you get the talents is, is fairly ambiguous. Um, it's up to the player to decide um, what focus their character. Like one of the talents is the tough guy talent tree. So if you make your character a, a, a super tough guy and he just like absorbs damage, mm-hmm. it's not that he's um, with the tough guy tree, it's um, sort of more like they just don't feel the pain or they don't realize how badly damaged they are. But it could also be that you're just big and strong and tough or maybe you've had uh, your nerve endings removed or or whatever. So whatever justification the player can come up with for having these abilities. And so when you use these abilities in combat, um, hopefully the GM is encouraging the players to describe how they use them so that two players may have the same talents Mm. but use them in completely different ways. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, and it actually suggests something else. Um, you does that mean that most of the 
does that mean that the way that you represent cybernetics in your game, which is often a feature of uh, cyberpunk games, um, uh, are those expressed primarily through the taking of talents and just describing your talent as a cybernetic? Well, n- no, the cyberware is actually like a piece of equipment that okay. increases your, your stats and uh, some of them like cyber weapons give you an ability. But there is a talent tree called the cyborg talent tree which enhances your um, cybernetic gear. Okay, interesting. Um, and uh, one of the, th- the things that we're planning to do with every release of uh, new content, we'll add two or three talent trees. So we'll keep expanding on this talent tree system. And sure. there's nothing stopping players and D- GMs from coming up with their own talent trees. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. a fairly straightforward, simple system. One of the other things we've done in this game um, speaking of cyberware, is we've eliminated money. There's no currency in this game. Nice. Everything is bought with your experience points. So you, um, what we have is we have these stats called resources, and there's a resource stat for every category of equipment. So there's a weapons resource, an armor resource, a cyberware resource. And you spend XP to increase your resources level, and that gives you access to the next level of gear. Like tiers? Yeah, so there are five tiers of of all of the gear. Now, the premise we've come up with for that is that um, because players like to loot things, but if you don't have the resource level for an item that you get, the automated systems in the block will scan you and realize you're not licensed to use that weapon because you haven't got the right tier of resources and you'll be um, stunned, drugged, electrocuted, shocked, beaten up by robots, and they'll take the offending item away. I was just thinking you wouldn't be able to, like, gain access to the things needed to maintain it. Mm. But uh, that's a little more direct. Yeah. So, um, and one of the things that um, a lot of people have said in the people have done the playtesting is that that's one of the features of the game they find so the most interesting is eliminating that, that money. And it also... By eliminating the money, it eliminates the need for loot and you get more done. So instead of worrying about the loot and how we divvy up the loot and then spending hours with the, the book going on a shopping spree and buying items for your character, mm-hmm. all of that is now streamlined into, well, I've got this resources level. I can have all this gear. I don't need to choose what I want. I can have it all if I want. Yeah, interesting. And it's just, again, it's eliminating an extraneous feature that in a... Uh, in a you, want, you want your game to be about fighting, not about managing yeah. um, income. In other games, um, like there's a place for games where you have a much deeper content and a much deeper story where the players build empires. Uh, but Body Count's not, not one of those games. It's, body Count is, is all about the action and, and all about the cinema. Whereas, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I I one I one hundred percent respect the streamlining of your mm-hmm. game to reinforce the thing that you wanted to do. Yeah, you and want I it to be about that. these involved, interesting, dynamic fights, not about yeah. you know having a cool like you know determining who gets this piece of equipment and yada yada yada. Yeah, and I envision it. I I personally, as a DM, have run long term campaigns and. Um, Managing that game week after week, um, coming up with new content for the players and and 
catering to the players' desires to build empires and get them to level 20 and become epic characters. Um, it's, it's actually quite laborious uh, after a time. And I envision a game like Body Count will have a niche for people to say, well, taking a break from the big campaign, we're going to run a couple of Body Count sessions and then go back to the big campaign. And Body Count lets you have a whole adventure in one or two sessions. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so your game has, obviously... Um, a little bit of a, uh, at the very least, a little bit of uh, of uh, cyberpunk stylings, and the cover of your of the preview copy that you sent me mm-hmm. actually says um, a space punk RPG, but it, it also talks about being a, a a fast cyberpunk system set in a decaying society on Mars and um, exploring, you know. Um, criminality and uh, and cybernetics and synthetic drugs and mm-hmm. uh, things like that. And the art style is definitely um, affecting cyberpunk. So I wanted to talk to you about um, your your influences um, relating to cyberpunk. And I thought that we might start that off by talking about how you uh, and your design team define cyberpunk and what that as a term means to you. All right. To me, and uh, well, the, the des- entire design team is only two people. It's it's Morgan Lean and myself. Um, Still, although we we did have we did contract uh, the artwork out to other other artists. Um, the, they they the art was um, built on our briefs. Mm-hmm. Now we both think of cyberpunk as well. To us, the ultimate media that represents the cyberpunk genre is Max Headroom, five mm-hmm. minutes into the future, 15 minutes into the future. That's what cyberpunk is to me. Now, that's the cyber bit of it is it's that technology that's the, the cutting edge of technology as we imagine it to be in the near future. And the punk element of it is overcoming the dystopian part of the setting. So a common element of cyberpunk uh, settings is the corporations run everything. And the corporations are—I don't want to say evil, but they're definitely amoral. Like, um, corporate- I mean, we have a pretty anti-capitalist bet here at Insert Quest here, so don't—we don't mind you calling <laughs> corporations evil. Yeah, but I, I work for one, <laughs> so so well, anyway, fair enough. Yeah, um, it, we can call them evil if you like. Look, evil. whatever you feel comfortable with. We're also about making sure everybody's comfortable. So, yeah. e- evil, evil corporations. Um, well, look at Cyberpunk twenty twenty. Arasaka and Biotechnica are defined as evil. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're the bad guys, and it's similar in our game. But we've gone with a sort of more lighthearted, uh, a less dark uh, look at the corporations. So, um, one of the pieces of art in here is a security guard. And he's a security guard who works for a company called Best in Blue, who are <laughs> formed from the remnants of the um, New York Police Department. Excuse me. And if you zoom in and, and uh, look closer, um, you'll probably find the artwork is on our, our Dark Stars Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got advertising from other corporations on his armour. So he's got corporate logos. He's a walking advertisement for other corporations. And that's how I sort of envision the future. Like, everyone's going to have sponsorship deals um, mm-hmm. and everything will be covered by corporate logos. Um, we see it now as sports personalities. They're always um, spruiking some uh, corporate product. 
Coca-Cola, Pepsi, uh, Nike. Um, in fact, one of my favorite television ads was uh, ages ago was a, a soccer, uh, all the best soccer players in the world playing soccer against uh, Satan and his devils. Uh, and that was an ad for Nike. And um, Eric Kantner k- kills the devil by kicking the ball right through him. I mean, that's one way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we've gone for a sort of more lighthearted look at the corporations. We're, we're, it's kind of satirical. We're, we're poking fun at the corporations. Mm. But by the same token, they do run everything in the block. People, they, they rely on these corporations. They're at the mercy of these corporations for the very air that they breathe. And so if you wanted to play the game in a more sort of grim tone, you could totally play it. I, I ran a game uh, recently um, where the premise was that there was something in this area of the block, in this module, where the players lived, that this corporation wanted. So they cut off the air supply to the module, oh. and the players had to resolve the situation and get the air back on. So the facility to play it grim and dark is certainly there, but in our setting, we, we take a satirical view of, of the mega corporations, so they're more amoral and comical rather than just outright evil. Yeah, interesting. Um, you talked a little bit uh, about some of your influences. Um, were there any other, uh, any other cyberpunk influ- uh, media influences or other media in oh. general that you drew on um, for the game? We've, you also mentioned 80s movies. Yeah, so... Um, of course, now I'm just thinking of um, now I'm just thinking of Demolition Man. It, yeah, Demolition Man's a great example. Um, I forgot that Demolition Man is totally a cyberpunk movie till just now. Yeah, I I get hung up on Arnie movies because mm-hmm. I just love watching Arnie movies, uh, just with the cheesy one-liners and everything, like The Running Man mm. and Running Man Cyberpunk. To- total Recall. Total Recall's definitely cyberpunk. Definitely, but also oh, and Terminator, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, probably the single biggest influence on us was Cyberpunk 2020 by mm-hmm. Art Talsorian Games. Uh, Mike Pondsmith was a designer on that. Um, and he is, um, like, his work was a great, had a great deal of influence on our designs. Um, we, we haven't really gone for the same feel. Like I said, we've gone with a lighter, a lighter tone with the corporations in our game, with the, the mega corporations. Um, you know, we have cheesy advertisements for them and, uh, like, the Mars Dog franchise serves real meat, spelled R-E-E-L, you know, and it's trademarked, real meat trademark. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say Cyberpunk 2020 was probably the, the biggest single influence, but as a designer, you're influenced every day by things that you experience, things that you see. Um, I draw on movies and books, books like Snow Crash, Um by Neil Stevenson. Yeah, we actually read Snow Crash from my book club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Diamond Age, also by Neil Stevenson, is is very cyberpunk. Um, uh, and, of course, the father of cyberpunk, William Gibson, Neuromancer and Mona Lisa Overdrive and uh, the, all those books. I don't like his newer stuff that's more like Idoru and, and those Yeah, books. it's really interesting with um, William Gibson um, – my understanding is that um, his newer and newer books are closer and closer to the present. Yeah. Whereas his older books were further and further, <laughs> further and further into the future. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, progression in time. Yeah, and his um, his books, uh, the newer ones, are less cyber and more punk. I think. Um, yeah. And uh, on that note, there's a lot of 
genres coming up where people slap punk on the end of it. Um, we've done that with space punk. We've said it's a space punk game. It's part space opera, part cyberpunk. I mean, I think at least in the case of your game, there are the elements of the punk part. Like a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the genre punk stuff. They just use that to mean, uh, you know, we've well, got some. They're focusing on the on the the first word, so cyberpunk, because cyberpunk is defined by uh, cybernetics, but it's also defined by its punkness. Whereas steampunk is mostly defined by everything steam powered, but like yeah. it's normally about aristocrats and not the working classes rising up. And yeah, exactly. There's there's no sense of dystopia in steampunk. Um. Uh, the one, the most one that's most recently come to my attention is solar punk. Solar punk can be punk, yeah, but it's more everything I've read about it. It's all about people cooperating to create a green utopia. I mean, that's pretty punk, to be honest. Yeah, I just I don't see where the. the I mean, it's it's not I, about fighting against the. the fight I mean, it is, it is about fighting against the dystopia. The dystopia is the sins of the past, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah that, but but I understand what you're saying. It's less about it's less aggressive. Mm. It's more about the uh, it's more about the um, it's more about the what happens after the aggression. What happens? What what do we do? What's what's the the adversary is gone? How do we rebuild? I've I've got this design for another game I'm working on, which is um, I, I want to have it set in the seventies mm-hmm. uh, and make it really punk, like about the punk movement. Mm-hmm. But um, everyone plays fairies. I mean, fairies can be pretty punk. Mm. But it's the fairies, and the establishment is trying to kill. The establishment is trying to squash all the magic. They're trying to crush <laughs> yeah. the fairies. I'm into it. Yeah, I'm very into that idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to call it fairies in boots. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let me know when that's ready to go, because we would love to talk to you about that but, game. Um, I I don't get a lot of time to work on it. Um, in my spare time with my, my regular job and uh, working on this Kickstarter. So give me a couple of years and then I'll have it ready for you. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so uh, mentioning the Kickstarter, uh, how much uh, is how much time is left on the Kickstarter as of Monday, the 12th of March? Yeah, so that's, that's only uh, five days away. Yeah, that'll be when this episode is live for all of these wonderful listeners. So I think we'll have a week left on mm. Starter. So um, sure. And uh, yeah, this Kickstarter was our first mm-hmm. Kickstarter. Um, we've made a few mistakes. We didn't have enough content ready to go to show people, mm-hmm. uh, which has really hurt our our Kickstarter. But we've learned from it. We'll treat this as a learning experience. And I'm still hoping that Kickstarter gets over the line. Um, mm-hmm. And if anyone's listening and has a bit of spare cash, go to the Body Count Kickstarter and pledge. Uh, we'd love to have your support. Indeed. It is a very wonderfully uh, made uh, game in terms of design. Um, I'm liking the art and the layout, actually. It's interesting. A lot of the layout and the, uh, and the font and stuff reminds me of... Um, when I was looking at it, there was something about it that just reminded me of my days playing 40K when I was in high school. <laughs> uh, there's something about it. There's also some aspects of uh, some superhero RPGs and things that I've seen in it. But uh, the the title page that you have on the draft document, I've just 
I love the the saturation of color mm. uh, in it, and the style of the character's hair, and the and the way that knife looks, and those bright orange pants. It's just yeah. very. That's Very, it. I made this at home out of what I could find. <laughs> That's our, our Chroma. Um, he's got uh, cyber arms and cy- cyber legs. So, he's, uh, so he, he does. Yeah. He's sort of the cyber in the, he's the cyber and the punk. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Mm. Um, and, and so what, uh, assuming, uh, hopefully, that this uh the project gets across the line and we get to see this wonderful game come out. Um, what uh, do we have in, uh, what do you have in mind for the future? You've talked about, you have a supplement book um, kind yeah. of in the works. So um, we already have uh, in editing now uh, the first supplement, which will contain three adventure scenarios. Uh, there's about 80 different non-player characters to populate those scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have a couple of new talent trees and things like that. Some, some new additional rules to go into it. Um, that's already been written and it's in editing now. Uh, that will be part of this release of the Kickstarter. And we're planning a second, a sequel to that, which will be Tales from the Block 2 or some other more imaginative title if we come up with a good one. And um, our goal would really be to keep, if, if the Kickstarter is successful and people like the game, We'll keep providing content for the game and keep providing new supplements. And each time we put out a supplement, there'll be more content, uh, more talent trees, that kind of thing. Um, and then in the future, we're going to be releasing another game called Dark Stars. Now, Body Count is set in the Dark Stars universe. The Dark Stars game is a deeper, more complex role-playing system. Um, the body count book is, is only 55 pages, whereas the Dark Stars book is like 600 pages. Um, and it covers like humanity spreading out amongst the stars and going into the galaxy, and you can play it as a space opera or you can play it as a cyberpunk game. Um, the setting is more detailed, whereas body count is focused on the block mm-hmm. and, and focused on a small slice of the Dark Stars universe. The Dark Stars game will cover the whole thing. and. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is something that we're planning to do. Um, not sure if we're going to do a Kickstarter for that. I'd like to do a Kickstarter for that. But as I said, next time, we'll be much better prepared, have more content for everyone. With much, The game will be in a, uh, a much further along state before we start the Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would recommend to uh, everyone listening that if you enjoy, um, if you enjoy like um, mechanically involved combat systems, uh, this seems like it is a fast-paced version of that, and it is a game that focuses on that um, in in ways that are interesting. Like, um, this, your game, at its core, its biggest selling point for me, uh, in my opinion, is that it knows what it is trying to be and what it is trying to do, and it does not worry about providing the other stuff, which is actually a criticism that I have of D&D and Pathfinder is that those get that game, which is considered the flagship of our hobby, um, doesn't know what it's trying to be mm. and is too, uh, too confused about what it wants to be to people. Um, yeah. And I think that more more designers need to look at um, 
the specifics of what they want their game to focus on and more focused games uh, is going to be more interesting. I think focused games are a lot better than generic. Mm. Well, um, a good example, uh, an example of that is the Dread movie, if you've seen that. Mm, yeah. The, a lot of movies like the Judge Dread movie starring Sylvester Stallone, which I can say as a fan of 2000 AD was execrable and we all wish it had never happened. Yeah, it's weird. I, I've watched, I rewatched, I watched that the first one a lot, which is called Judge Dread. I watched yeah. that a lot as a kid and I thought it was really good. Um, and then I found out that Judge Dread is meant to be satire and I was like, this is dumb because they're yeah. taking it seriously. And now like I look at it as an adult, I'm like, look, if they, if I didn't know that these people were trying to take this seriously, then it would be an okay satire. Mm. But I know that they were taking it seriously, yeah. and so it's not a satire when it should be. I mean, the new one is also not a satire, but the new one at least knows what it's trying to be, which is exactly a fucking non-stop bloody fight. Well, it's also got a much narrower focus. Yeah. Whereas Judge Dredd um, had this huge overarching plot and taking over the city and all the... The clones. When, <laughs> when Rico kills all those judges on the council, yeah, uh, he's actually killing all of uh, the characters in the comic. Those characters in the comic books are all the chief judges for like the next you know, 600 issues. So he's just killed all the chief judges. So they really butchered the story, which alienated all the fans. But the Dread movie kept a narrow focus, and they were able to just make that movie tell that story. And they also put the psychics in, which they didn't yeah. put in the, the St- Stallone version. Yeah. So um, in a sense, that's that influenced Body Count a little uh, mm. in that we were keeping that narrow focus. I mean, we've had like brainstorming sessions and, and design meetings where we've like discarded a lot of ideas because it would take us beyond the scope of what we wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And we've discarded a lot more material than has actually made it in the book. And another concern for us was uh, a lot of the material that we deal with uh, in the games that we prefer to play is quite offensive to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we deal with, I mean, in role-playing games, people, uh, who play role-playing games a lot, often use them as a means of exploring issues that bother them in their everyday life. Yeah. Uh, which we do. And the thing is that sometimes as a designer, you've got to say, well, I'd really like to put this in there because it means a lot to me, but other people might find it offensive or upsetting. Um, and, and so we've had to sort of be very harsh and very critical of our own product. And in the I end... Th- I think that that is a very um uh very good choice on your part like mm. if you if you weren't sure of how to include this thing in a way um that would be uh be uh comfortable uh yes. for the audience um to choose not to include it i think is a really good idea mm. and that again being like critical of of our own stuff and and being a little bit sort of heavy-handed in in what we chopped out, Mm -hmm. that helped us keep that narrow focus. And in the end, the end result, I think, is a better game and will be a better play experience for players. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think it was wonderful chatting to you about this fantastic game. Um, uh, I think that you... uh, 
that everybody uh, listening should go and check out their Kickstarter. Um, you, if you're listening to this on the, uh, bef- if you're listening to this before, do you know what the closing date of your Kickstarter is? Oh, one sec, let me check. I can never, I can't even remember what today is. <laughs> <laughs> Today's the seventh. Okay, so we have on our Kickstarter eleven days to go. So it'll be finishing on what's that? The eighteenth. The eighteenth. Wonderful. So if you are listening to this before the eighteenth. You should go uh, check out their Kickstarter. Uh, it is Body Count, capital B. Uh, I think that some of you would really enjoy it. Uh, I think that it is 100% worth your time to go check that uh, check this game out. And if people want to find more inf- uh, information about your game or about you as designers, you and Morgan, uh, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, well, our Dark Stars uh, Facebook page. Uh, so if you do a search for Dark Stars on Facebook, uh, you'll find our page there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, or search for Dark Stars Universe. Uh, we have a Dark Stars Universe website, and uh, we post pretty much everything on Facebook. Facebook's our main social media, uh, oh. and you'll find all of the fantastic artwork that we've had commissioned uh, for our Dark Stars Universe on that page. And uh, there'll be links to any of our products and videos that we release will be on there as well. Uh, I'm planning to release another video soon, which uh, has more information about the game mechanics and and how to play the game. Um, And I think you just put a video up recently about the setting? Yes, I did. Um, So it's narrated by someone with a better voice than me. Uh, Wonderful. Well, thank you uh, for uh, coming on and having a chat with us. Um, I hope that you enjoyed yourself. Excellent. Uh, it's my first, my first podcast interview. Oh, wonderful. I look forward to my next one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope that, uh, you get a chance to do more. Uh, thank you, uh, so much. Uh, and farewell from the past listeners. I'm Raymond.